0: The first time I
1: Good morning. Welcome to Family Church. Some of you are thinking, you know what? I knew it. My dad was right all along the church. The pastor only cares about your money. And now I got caught video evidence that that is true. Greedy pastors only care about your money. They were continuing uh, James. We're going to look at James chapter 4, starting at verse 10 through the end of the chapter. So would you read along with me the word of the Lord to us this morning? James chapter 4, verse 10. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes like you're in control. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. And even though we, uh, we read it, I want to look at James 4, verse 1. The, the thesis statement for James chapter 4 is found in the first verse. So I want to read that uh, again. And that is James 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James is saying there's things that we want uh, there's our, our flesh, and there's things that can uh, rise up inside of us, and they can drag us away, these desires that we have, causing all types of envy and, and jealousy and bitterness and comparison and quarrels that are toxic to the family of God, that are toxic to our relationships with others. We're going to need God's, God's help with this one, so let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these minutes and moments that we share. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you, would you give us wisdom to know what to do and, and encourage to do? it? We fix our eyes on you. And we say thank you for your presence. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, How good are you at not getting what you want? How good are you at not getting what you want? You know, when you are single, you can go through life and you can have a season of life where maybe things are going your way and maybe it's relatively easy to get what you want But there's nothing like a change of season where you become married. You get married and you realize, oh, I may need to become better at not getting what I want. I asked my wife Lauren this week a question and it turned out to be a dangerous question. I said, Lauren, can you think of a time where I didn't get what I wanted and I pouted about it or made life difficult for you? And she literally laughed out loud and she said, how could I possibly think of one story when there are thousands that are coming to mind? And then she said, oh, I know, when we went shopping for the Toyota. So it was right after we got married uh, that following year, Lauren's car that she had kind of drove as a teenager had broken down, and we needed a new vehicle. And we had two different perspectives on what vehicle we should get. So it's going to be Lauren's car. So naturally, Lauren is thinking, um, we're a family now. This is uh, eventually going to be a family vehicle, You know, we didn't have kids yet. So something reliable, uh, you know. You know, it, it, we, you know, we need a vehicle that's going to be ours. We've never purchased a vehicle together. And I'm thinking, you know, I had driven a Civic through all of college, and it had, you know, over 260,000 miles on it. It's like, my Civic did just fine. So let's just find a cheap, a quarter Civic. You know, if it has a lot of miles, that's fine. It'll still run. And we can find a cheap, a quarter Civic for maybe $3,000, and we'll get that. And, and Lauren and I disagreed on the type of vehicle we should get. So I'm going to tell this story that happened at CarMax from my perspective. So I finish up parent-teacher conferences my first year teaching, in Lawrence, actually like, hey, I'm at CarMax looking at vehicles. Will you come meet me here? So I've had this long day of work, and I just want to go home and relax, but I'm going to go to CarMax and meet Lauren. And, and as soon as I walk in, I can tell that Lauren has been deceived by the con man salesman who has hoodwinked her into thinking that this vehicle is the one for her. And so I have to come in and rescue and save the day and politely tell this gentleman, uh, no, we're not going to fall for the scheme here. And, uh, you know, CarMax, they have that no-haggle pricing, which is another way of saying you're not getting a discount, we're going to rip you off. So we were going over the terms of this, you know, here's the price of the vehicle, here's the financing, this is what it's going to look like, and I pull out my phone, and I don't know if anyone else does this, but when I'm trying to get my way, I'm going to get people on my side. Well, since it was me and Lauren, I, I had to text some people to get them on my side. So I text my brother. I text a couple of my close friends. Be like, all right, here's what's going on. Here's the price of the car. Here's the interest rate. Here's this. And, and so I'm, 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 from my perspective, I'm, I'm getting people on my side. And so they are confirming what I want to hear. Like, yeah, that, that's, that's not a good deal. Get out of there. Don't, don't buy that vehicle. And so I'm telling Lauren, look, it's not just me. It's other people too. Like, this is not a good deal. This is not the right car for us. We have to go a different direction. So the salesman walks away and it's like, all right, I'm gonna let you talk about this. He could sense the uh, tension, right? At the desk there. So he walks away, he's like, I'm gonna let you talk about this. So I take the paper and I tear it up and I tell Lauren, we are not doing this. Well, we bought the car. <laughs> It was a Toyota Yaris, a small car, you know, it was four years old, and uh, we drove that car until this year, where we sold it to Scotty and Michelle Hutchinson for Alex to have her vehicle, and it was a great car for us. But in the moment, and in the following days, guess what I did? I made life more difficult for Lauren, because I didn't get my way. How good are you at not getting what you want? If you were to think of a number, if you were to rate yourself for a scale of one to ten, how good are you at not getting what you want? Maybe to be safer, we should make it like one to three. Rate yourself on how good are you at not getting what we want. Now, the truth is, um, God created pleasure. We have have correct theology here. Uh, uh, Pleasure was not created by the devil. God created pleasure. And the thing is, God creates and Satan counterfeits. So Satan wants you to have you believing that you can pursue pleasure outside of the context that God has planned, and it's going to be good. And so often we become deceived, thinking, well, I can uh, find my way to happiness if I follow my heart. And I follow these things that I think are going to bring me pleasure and happiness. The problem is we have to keep these things in God's context. We have to keep God first and keep them under God's covering. Otherwise, in our fractured state, we will make these decisions and we will end up hurting ourselves and hurting the people closest to us and damaging relationships. And so why God did create pleasure, we sometimes in our pursuit of what we want, we can step outside of God's plan and our selfish nature that we're born with. How good are you at not getting what you want? Now, uh, the environment that we grew up in shaped us to some extent. For example, um, you may have grown up in a house where there was a lot of arguing, where there was a lot of, maybe there was verbal berating, maybe it was a chaotic, and and you grew up in a house where it felt like there was a lot of chaos, there wasn't a lot of stability, um, and there was a lot of fighting. I I didn't grow up in a house like that. I grew up in a house where uh, my mom and my dad, they're, they're very loving, and they actually have the top strength. They're similar in that their top strength is harmony and harmony. So in the house that I grew up in, when conflict arose, we would lift up that rug, take that broom, (laughs) sweep it under the rug, drop the rug, and carry on like nothing happened, like everything was okay. And so what happened is, it would would manifest manifest itself in passive-aggressive behavior. I want to go over seven signs of passive-aggressive behavior, and let me see if uh, any of these ring true. I I also read this list to Lauren, to which, after each one, she pointed at me. So if you're wondering who this message is for, look no further than the guy on the stage. Seven signs of passive-aggressive behavior. Number one, saying everything is fine. Everything is fine, whatever, it doesn't bother me. Number two, silence. The silent treatment or one-word answers. Number three, sarcasm. Number four, mumbling under their breath. Or maybe they're just out of, just you, they're out of earshot and so you're talking about them like they're not in the room. Number five, withholding affection. When there's an attempt to reconcile and connect you, you brush it off and you avoid it. Because it's not on your terms Or you need to let the person know that things are not okay. Number six, resentful agreement. You agree to it, but there's a lingering resentment that you didn't get what you wanted. Number seven, pretending to cooperate. Seven... Things that passive aggressive people do. Now, we know what a child does when a child get, doesn't get what they want. A child will ask for something, and if the answer is no, what will they do? They will proceed to throw a tantrum and continue to ask and continue to ask, and they will force their way to try to get what they want. Have we matured past that? Have we matured from tantrums to passive aggressive behavior? I think if you're reading the book of James, you would have to, to say, by looking at scripture, by looking at the book of James, James is saying that if you're going to live together in community, he says, brothers and sisters again, and he's saying, you are Jesus followers, and there's a way that you need to live together to be the body of Christ, to be a family, to be a community that is the light of the world, and that shares the gospel, but there's going to be something that can arise that's going to be a cancer in your community. There's going to be a cancer in your church family. And if you are led astray by your own desires, and there's bitterness, and there's envy, and there's jealousy and there's strife and there's comparison and there's unforgiveness, and what's going to happen is you will, you will not be the light of the world. You'll, you'll be just like the world and you will not step into the purpose that God has for you. These things will, will, hold, will hold you back. James is describing, James is, is painting the picture of. Now let's be really honest. I want you to think about the person that you know. Maybe it's a family member, a relative, maybe it's a friend, but they're actually really good at not getting what they want. Or in other words, they are great at preferring others. They know how to Think of others first and consider others first. That person makes you feel loved. That person makes you feel seen. That make, person makes you feel valued. And you love being around that person. And there's also probably a person that you know that, well, they really need to get their way and they might manipulate, they might bully, they might coerce, and they might let people know that if they don't get their way, things are gonna be difficult for the other people in the room. Nobody wants to be the big jerk, the big bully in the room, yeah, so many of us, it's, it's, it's hard to prefer others, and it's, it's challenging when, when we don't get what we want. And, and the truth is this, um, part of becoming more like Jesus, part of applying scripture to your life is he must increase, I must decrease, and in plain English, it's becoming really good at not getting what I want. In fact, it's saying, God, I don't want what I want, I want what you want, and it's this daily surrender of God, um, you know, this is what I want, and, and I, it is okay to ask for what you want, but ultimately you need to follow that prayer with, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's part of following Jesus. Part of this discipleship process is it's not a slave to my own uh, uh, cravings and desires. It's saying, God, I'm not mastered by anything, and I'm, I'm, I'm following after you. And, and what if it wasn't just, well, I'm not going to pout. I'm not going to bully if I don't get my way. What if, well, I'm going to look out for others. I'm going to find a way to serve others. And did you know that the, the most fulfilled, the, the, the most joyful people in the world are ones that step into their purpose of serving others? And Jesus is saying, look, um, if you really want to find true life, you have to lay down your own life. You have to lay down your own way and say, God, I'm following you. God, everywhere you went, you were, the, the Son of Man came to serve, so I want to serve. Whatever it looks like, God, I, I'm open, and, and, and let me be your hands and feet to serve others. That is the way to true, lasting uh, contentment and purpose and meaning, and that is the life that God has for us. Yet so many of us, it's, it's hard to pry open our fingers, and we cling to our own way, and because we can, we can become a lot astray. The world says that you're in charge. The world says follow your heart. You only live once you got to live like it's the weekend. you got to party like it's 1999. And you need to get yours while the getting's good. And if that would have worked, it would have worked by now. It would have worked by now. Yet how many people, even though we've never seen an example where it works, we've never seen that deliver on true peace and true contentment and true joy and fulfillment. And yet how many people, they still pursue that life thinking it's going to give them that chasing the wind. Happiness that so eludes them. No, it never has delivered and it, and it never will. So instead of saying it's my way, it's my truth and it's my life, we, we have to say it's, it's, it's his way. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And we have to practice that daily surrender to say, God, I'm following you. God, if it, if I want what you want. God, I'm willing to lay down these desires that I have because I know that, that what you what you have in, in store for me is better. Scripture tells us that what God has in store for you is immeasurably more than you could ask or think or imagine. So I don't know what you think about the life God has planned for you. If you think it's really good, Scripture says it's even better than you could imagine. And if you think it's not a lot of fun, then God wants to change your mind and show you, oh, it's, it's, it's better than you could even imagine the life I have planned for you. You just have to be willing to let go of what you're clinging to and say yes and, and follow after Jesus. James tells us there's, 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 there's a blueprint for this fulfilling, abundant life, and it's, it's following God's word. And he also says there's, a, there's two ways that you can tell. He's writing to Christians that have become deceived, that have been led astray, and there's, there's two ways that you can tell whether you've adopted the world's value system and you're following your own way that the world says is right, and you're not following the way of Jesus. And and, and as we close, I want to show you those two ways. And it's, it's these two ways to check if, to see if you've fallen into the world's value system. And number one, it's how we talk about others. James talks about the, the way that we talk about others, the words that we use about others. And, and number two, it's how we plan for the future, how we plan for the future. Do you see it in the text? Let's read James 4.11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. That's talking bad and evil about someone behind their back. Anyone who judges or anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. Which is to say, if you judge someone, what you're really saying, it's really wicked because you are saying God is not an accurate judge. I'm going to replace God on the the throne of judgment and I'm going to be the judge and I'm going to determine... That's a pretty dangerous place to be. Uh, to, to, to be, And you're saying, even though I've received grace, um, I don't think that, that that same grace should be extended to you. When we become the judge, it's going to speak evil and condescending of another brother or sister in Christ. Jud- the, the, well, the, the judgment that James is talking about is, is one of, of slandering and talking bad about. And this is the first giveaway, James said, that the ways you will know if you've adopted the world's value system over the kingdom of heaven and what God has planned for his people... That he, that he loved, that he died for, and that he filled with his spirit to be the light of the world, to change the world, to bring heaven to earth. And we'll find ourselves, if we follow Jesus for a long time, some people, they find themselves saying, oh, I'm pretty godly, and so I can make a I, I don't even think that person is really a believer. And did you see all the things that they are doing? I, I'm not even sure. I don't think they're really saved. Like, what, what are we doing when we say these things? Like, whoa. Well, when did God come off the throne as the judge and, and, we, and he appointed us to be the judge? And James is saying this is a, this is a sinister route that we can go down. And it's only evil. It, it, it cannot be found in God's people. It will be toxic to the family of God if we go down this route. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one. There's only one who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you? Do you see the tone James put in there? Who are you (laughs) to judge your neighbor? What gives you the right? This attitude is rooted in that envy, that jealousy, that bitterness, that comparison, that selfishness that is a cancer to. A family let me tell you what family church is all about family church is not all about a sunday morning service now sunday morning services are powerful they're amazing we, we get to come together we get to welcome people into the family that come to church uh for the first time that are coming back to god we get to be the light of the world we get to with open arms say hey come and see come as you are and we get to worship together and we get to, to 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 sit under the the teaching of God, and we get to encourage one another. And Sunday morning services are amazing, but ultimately, we're not just about a Sunday morning service. It's not about I'm not a professional speaker. It's it's not about a, a a speech. Or it's about a community. It's about a family. God has always designed His church to be a community, a group of people that become like a family, the body of Christ, that do life together, that encourage one another on their faith journey, that are the light of the world, and that reach out to a broken and hurting world. And James is saying if, uh, if you let these things come into your community, you will never step into the, the, the true plan and purpose. The church in the past, that changed the world, and, and that's God's plan for it to do it the same today, but there are barriers, and one of the barriers is this, this bitterness, the envy, the, the, the jealousy, the strife, the, the slandering that will, will come in between God and the plan and purpose that he has for us. I love what Dr. Billy Graham said. Dr. Billy Graham lived until he was 99 years old, and for decades he preached the gospel, and he lived an exemplary life of what it looks like to follow Jesus and be a leader in his church. And Billy Graham famously said this. He said, it is God's job. It's It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge, and my job is to love. Have you ever seen a Christian that skips the loving part, and they went straight to the judging and the conviction part? Because it's really hard to judge, or it's really hard to love, and sometimes it's easy to judge and to convict. What if we just focused on the love part? And Jesus said, "They will know that They will know if you're my people by your love. What if we really focused on the love part? And we didn't skip over the love part and go to the, and we just said, am 'I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the loving part. I'm gonna find a way to to, to speak with compassion and and, and and care and consideration and kindness and, and, and offer hospitality the best that I can and turn the other cheek the best that I can and not do and not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. What if we, what if we focused on the love?" And see, so many people, the reason they won't come to church is because they believe that the church is about the conviction part. And they think, well, I can't go to church because I know the church people, and I know what church people are like, and they're going to judge me for the stuff I've been caught up in, the stuff that I'm doing. And what if we were a community that says we're, we're not about the judgment, we're not about the, the, the conviction, and we're certainly not about the condemnation. We're about the loving part. And we know that as we introduce them to the word of God, Oh, God's going to reveal the truth to them. But it's his kindness that leads us to re- repentance. They're, they're, they're unique with the kindness. That's what it looks like to be full of grace and full of truth. No, we're not, we're, we're, we're not forgetting the truth. No, the truth is there. We're going to stand by the truth. We're going to live by the truth, but we're also going to know that it's our job to love. And we're not going to skip over that part. What would it look like if we just said, we're not, we're not going to talk, talk bad about people. We're not going to slander like that. It's very common. Do you, know, do you know anyone like that? Do you have a workplace like that? Is, is there ever a time where you're in the, the circle at work and you know, I, I should probably just step out and not continue in this conversation where someone's just getting beat up? The first giveaway, if we've adopted the world's value system, is the way that we talk about others. Maybe you'll have to make the decision that I made. I'm telling you, this message is for me. It's for the guy on the stage. I made the decision or I found myself talking bad about this person. they recurring. And this, this James is right there, right to me. And I made the decision, I'm not going to talk about them if they're not in the room. Because so often, if the person isn't in the room, the things that are being said about them are not kind, and they're not compassionate, and they're not flattering. And I said, I, that's just a decision I have to make. I'm just not going to talk about them if they're not in the room. The second, the second giveaway is how we talk or how we plan about the future. We're going to close with this. Verse 13, James talks about the plans we make for the future. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And some of you are thinking, you know, I like this message. Some people need to hear it because I don't gossip, but I know some people do. I have a question for you. When was the last time that God changed your plans? When was the last time God said no to you? And if you can't ever remember a time where God said no or God changed your plans, maybe it's because that's not really an option in your mind. James is talking about living with this eternal perspective, and James is not saying, don't plan, don't think about the future. James is saying, look, it's good to have a plan. It's good to have a schedule. It's good to have a calendar. But what are you serving? Are you a servant to your schedule? Are you a servant to the calendar? Or are you a servant to to Jesus? You know, sometimes this is what we do in life. Um, this is very common in the United States. We take our hopes and our dreams and our goals and we sprinkle some God on top because God is powerful and he's going to push us further to quicker and faster and better success. And you can't take your hopes and dreams and desires and sprinkle God on top. It doesn't work like that because He is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And God is not against your hopes, and God is not against your dreams, and God is not against your desires. Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But we have to do the first part, where we put God first, and we delight ourselves in the Lord, and he's going to put desires in your heart that please him. What do our plans look like before God? You know, when we make our plans and we hand them to God, it's kind of like when your kid makes you a picture, and they hand you the picture, and you're thinking it's uh it's what I want to be when I grow up. you want to be uh you, what do you want to be it's a, it's a farmer, yeah, yeah, I can see that you want to be a farmer when you grow up our 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 precious plans to god are are like the picture that our kid draws. God loves our plans we love the picture our kids gave us but but who are you serving and who's in control we are we're not called to live a life where our five-year plan comes true. Success isn't, I'm exactly where I thought I would be in 20 years. That's not success. Success is becoming more like Jesus. We're called to live a life that says, not my will, but, but your will be done. And the goal of life, it's not our five-year plan coming true. It's, it's saying, Jesus, I'm following you and what you, what you have. There was a time where... Jesus was conflicted. It's found in Luke twenty-two forty-two, and maybe what the most famous prayer that, that that Jesus ever prayed. Jesus said, "Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me," as if to say, um, "Was there ever a time where Jesus didn't get what he wanted? He didn't wanna. He didn't wanna partake of the cup. He knew what was ahead of him, and he was." He wanted, can we change the plan? But what does he follow it up with? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Can we pray the same thing? Pray for your dreams, pray for your hopes, pray for your desires, pray for it all, but can you follow it up with God? Ultimately, I want what you want, not what I want. What if you prayed that prayer? What if you, you said, Jesus, uh, I want to follow you, and that means that I want what you want, not what I want. You know, God might just follow that prayer up with, For real? You do? If you you pray that you're signing up for the adventure of a lifetime, (laughs) you really are. Immeasurably more than you could ask, think, or imagine. Did you know that God does not want you to be afraid of the future? Fear is not from God. Perfect love cast out all fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear yet. How many people do you know they are afraid about the future? If you are afraid about the future, you're not following God's plans for you. If the news shakes you and has you rattled, you're not fully trusting God with the future like he wants you to. Perfect love casts out all fear. Don't let fear of the future paralyze you like it does so many people. No, surrender that. The area where you need to surrender. You know what's going to happen? I know you're clinging to it. It's so hard to let it go. It was so hard for for, for me. It's a daily surrender. When you decide to surrender and let it go, you know what God's going to do? His peace, his spirit's going to flood to that area. And like you haven't experienced before, you're going to experience his peace. And it doesn't mean you have to walk out a journey. And it doesn't mean that everything's easy. But it does mean that he's right there with you. Never does he forsake you. And he's going to give you his peace and his comfort along the way. We're going to finish with this. I love what Paul is talking about, his plans and his future in First Corinthians chapter 16. And I love how Paul describes his plans and his future. Paul says this, 16, uh, 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. For I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps, perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits Perhaps, if, I hope, maybe. You're like, Paul, are, are you okay? He's like, yep, I just know what it's like following Jesus. It's an adventure. I'm not sure what, what, what the future looks like. No man knows. Only God knows the future. Man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Is there an area that you need to, that you need to let go of? I mean, think, think about where we're at. I remember when there was... 20 people sitting in this. We had one service and there was 20 people here. Now we have over 400 people that call family church home and we're going to Baldwin. That's the adventure of a lifetime and it's happened only in a few years. We have no idea what is in store when we sign up and say, God, not my plans, but yours. Oh, that adventure, it's, uh, that's one that you want to sign up for. Have you tried to do life your own way? Have you tried to be the captain of your own ship? Did it feel like you kind of just ended up shipwrecked, never really happy, always wanting more, lost, hurting? What would it be like to say, I don't want to do life my own way. I'm going to surrender. And if it takes up waking every morning, and if it takes every drive to work, and if it takes every night you have to daily surrender, sometimes that's what it looks like. But the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. If there's an area of your life where you're thinking, God, I'm really struggling to surrender to you. You know what the very best thing you can do? You just pray, God, I'm struggling to surrender this to you. So I need your help to change my mind and help me in this area. You know what God's going to do? God is going to meet you in that area. And the thing that has been so challenging for you, God is going to, in a supernatural way, his spirit... He might use someone in your life to do it. He's going to transform you more like Jesus, and he's going to allow you to trust him in a way that you haven't before. If you're willing to be that honest with God about what you're struggling with, he'll meet you right there. God loves to meet us right there in that place. He loves to. He loves to. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. Lord, we thank you that your plans are good, and that when we trust in you, you make our path straight. Lord, you know the things that we're clinging to, and they're not bad things. But Lord, we we don't want to cling to them because we want Your way, not our own. If you're sitting here in the room, if if that's your prayer that you want to to live open handed, to live surrender to the plan of God and not your own plan, would you? Would you just open up your palms right in your lap? The truth is when you respond on the outside to what God is speaking to you and moving on the inside, it makes it all the more real to you. So God, you see these hands that are open to you. You see these hearts that are open to you. We want to be led by you. We need your spirit. And it's so hard to do it on our own, but we were never meant to carry it on our own. But when you carry it for us, Father, we, can, oh, we have the spirit at our back. And we have your love, your joy, your peace all along the way. So, Father, you see these surrendered hands, and you see these surrendered hearts. Lord, we're saying yes to you and your plan and purpose for our life. Oh, Thank you for your hand of blessing. Thank you that we're up for the adventure of a lifetime, and it's immeasurably more than we can ask or think or imagine. Oh, we love you, Lord. And if you're here today and you need to make a decision for Jesus, you feel like I'm still trying to be the captain of my ship, and it feels hard, and it feels heavy, and you feel like you're just struggling, and you feel like you're about to drown, oh, it's not a coincidence. God wants you to... To receive the day of salvation, that is God's will for you. That you don't have to do it on your own. That you don't. That you don't have to to keep trying on your own to save you. But that that you can receive. That you can open up and receive the free gift of salvation that God has always wanted for you. He changes your life forever, and he brings complete forgiveness into your life. If that's you today, you can make that decision. And it just it's praying this prayer. Just pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins save me and fill me with your spirit so i can live for you renew my mind with your truth my life is not my own i give it to you thank you for new life in jesus name amen i thank you so much for being here today hey Serve Day is coming up in two weeks. We want to put people on serve teams with a Serve Project leader. We also want to make sure you get a, your free shirt. So if you haven't and you plan on being a participating, go ahead and go to the website and sign up for Serve Day so we can have those teams organized to go out into the community and be the hands and feet of Jesus by serving and loving. And at the movies, is coming in three weeks. That's adding a Saturday night service. There may be someone that you know that will come to church on Saturday night. Maybe you're going to have dinner together. It's just an easier invite. So think about, pray about who you can invite to Saturday night service and be praying for the day of salvation uh, through at the movies and all that God's going to do in bringing the harvest of his kingdom. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time. We love you.